the reading of God's word, you'll find in the book of Philippians, Paul's epistle to the Philippian church. We're reading the last portion of this letter and concluding our study of Philippians. We'll begin at verse 10, Philippians chapter 4, verse 10, and reading through the end. Let us hear now the word of God. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Most of us know what it is like to write thank you notes, although it seems that's becoming a dying art. Actual handwritten thank you notes that we receive in these days, why we almost treasure them because they're unusual. Uh, we'll get a verbal thank you from someone face to face, which is great, <clears throat> or we'll get an email. Yeah, you know, um, it sort of depends on the gift and the circumstances, I suppose, but we at least know what it's like to write thank you notes. And that's really what Paul is doing here in this last part of Philippians. Some people wonder, well, why did he say that at the beginning? Well, I think he was saving the best for last. He had some important things to tell them first and he wanted to top it off as it were by telling them, thank you for your support of me, a missionary in my needs. And as we'll see, they were a faithful church in doing that. What a precious affirmation, though, for Paul to make when he says, whatever situation I'm in, I'm content. 
that should just blow us away. On the one hand, we think, yeah, that's the way it ought to be. But no, that's not the way it is. And we can all think of times when we are simply dissatisfied, maybe even whining to God about it. Why have you allowed this situation to come into my life? Why have you not done something? I don't like the situation I'm in. I want something better. Contentment is a real challenge, isn't it? If we're really honest with ourselves. And Paul is saying, in whatever circumstances I'm in, I have learned to be content. Jeremiah Burroughs was a Puritan preacher, and he wrote a book, still in print, love it that these Puritans are in print now more than ever, called The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. Notice he says Christian contentment. It's a whole different level than what worldly contentment might be. The rare jewel. It's, that's the way it is. It's hard to find. It's hard to come by. It's hard to practice. Well, what can Paul tell us here? He discloses what he calls the secret of contentment, which is available for any Christian. The secret's out. It's a secret to those who don't know Christ because they don't have any access to this kind of contentment. The first thing that Paul tells us here, though, is that we can be content regardless of our situations. We really can. We really can. In several places here, Paul brings this out. Of course, he brings it up immediately in his expression of thanks and he says, I rejoice greatly. This is the last time he uses this word joy or rejoice. He's used it so many times in Philippians. That's been a major theme of the, of the book. I rejoice, and not just rejoice, I rejoice greatly, he says, that you are, are giving gifts to me again. You had the opportunities at times, but then things, whatever the circumstances were, you weren't able to, and now you're you're picking that back up. You're, you're picking up my support again. Doesn't complain about that. He doesn't say, well, why haven't you been doing that all along? Remember, he's content. God provides as he sees fit to provide when he sees fit to provide. The setting then is, is this in verse 10, that he's realizing that they've uh, resumed their support of him. And he says in, in, that, in saying that, he's really talking here, as I hinted already, about missionary giving. As I was looking at this this week, and by my notes here, I, I preached this sermon the first time in 1996. But I never preach it the same way, because God keeps teaching me more things. And one of the things that just stood out to me as I was reading about this in commentaries and looking over this passage, you could preach, I could preach several sermons just on the theme of missions from this passage. And I'm not going to get into all that. I'm not going to preach three sermons today. Some of you are already thinking about that soup back there. <laughs> I am too, all in due time. But just thinking about what he's saying here, in verses 14 through 17, he says, it was kind of you to share my trouble. 
trouble. Remember where Paul was when he wrote this letter? He was under house arrest in Rome. He was not doing what he would have preferred to do. God had limited him in certain ways. And he was no doubt at times cold, hungry, shackled. He was always shackled. And so he couldn't do anything physically beyond where he was incarcerated. And yet he says, you're sharing in my trouble and I'm thankful for your gifts. And he says in verse 15, you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, he's talking about when he first came to Philippi. Remember the spirit told him that he needed to come into Europe from Asia Minor. And he went there and preached at the riverside and a woman named Lydia, a very influential woman, successful businesswoman, she came to faith in Christ and others did too. And that's the beginning of the gospel there. And he says, at the beginning when I left Macedonia, when I left Philippi, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. I had no support. Yes, Paul was a tent maker when he had to be. But ideally, he needed to be able to do more and wanted to do more if he was freed from having to work. And so he had supporters, financial supporters. And he never knew who would give or how much they would give or when they would give. That's often the case with missionaries. But God was providing and he was using the Philippians to help provide for him. He calls it giving and receiving. The church is giving, Paul is receiving. And then in verse 16, even in Thessalonica, that's where he went when he left Philippi, and things didn't go real well in Thessalonica. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Over and over, you've been supporting me, not just once. One of the things that stands out here to me is it's important to know your missionaries. Again, that's something we could get into, but I just want to make that one point that, that missionaries, uh, for us, in order for us to really have a heart for them, we need to enter into as, as uh, good of a relationship, as knowledgeable of a relationship that we possibly can with the missionaries that we support. We need to hear from them. We need to know what's going on, the good and the, the not so good. We need to know how to pray for them. They need to know that we're praying for them. They need to know that we care and that we're trying to keep up with them as best as we can. You get that here. Paul and the Philippians were, were communicating. Remember, they didn't have the means of communication like we do today. But that didn't deter them from doing that. And so he was thankful for the gift he had because it was really timely and very much needed and very much appreciated. But he points out in verse 17 that he's not, he's not simply thankful for the gift itself. He's thankful for the givers. He's thankful for the Lord working in their hearts and for the fruit, he says, that will increase fruit on Paul's end because they're supporting him and he's doing the work 
of an evangelist and people are coming to know the Lord. The kingdom is growing. Churches are being built. But also fruit on the Philippians end as they continue to grow and develop and influence their, their city and beyond with the gospel. The blessings on both sides. We need to keep that in mind. He calls it a partnership. I love that term in verse 15. We entered into a partnership. The word is, is koinonia. It's, it's the word that he uses several times here about our fellowship with one another, our spiritual connection that we have. So contentment comes regardless of the situation. And Paul goes to a, a comparison of the extremes in his life that he has experienced here. He's, he talks about the lows and he talks about the highs. <clears throat> he was content uh, because everything his, he was experiencing, his contentment transcended the conditions that he was living in at the time. And that's something we really need to understand. We need to be and we can be content whatever's going on in our lives. The lives are, our lives are crazy, aren't they? So much uncertainty, so many surprises, so many things that irritate us and, and so many times where we just find ourselves not happy with the conditions and the situations that we're in. Even little things <clears throat> can, can cause us to get agitated. But though those things vary, then the contentment is always there. And so Paul talks about contentment when things are good for us. He says that in verse 12. <clears throat> he says in the middle of the verse, I know how to abound. Abundance. Uh, later in that verse, twice he uses that term. And <clears throat> he talks about that uh, in his life. And, and we think back, well, there were times when Paul was spiritually speaking, on top of the world with the situation that he was in. I mean, he got to preach to the, the great Greek philosophers uh, in Athens. He's, pre he's going to be able to give the gospel to, to uh, uh, Agrippa and, and to Rome, to the leaders of Rome, to perhaps Pilate himself, the emperor. More than likely it was Pilate at that time. And he saw these wonderful things happening in God changing people's lives. It's hard to express as a pastor the joy that a pastor can have when he sees God at work in his pe people's lives, in his flock, the lives of his flock. It's a glorious thing. <clears throat> and Paul knew that. And there were times when he had plenty of financial help. So all of that is, is good. He's content in those situations. And yet he's also content when things aren't so good. And he, of course, mentions that too in verse 12. I know how to be brought low. That, the word there is, I know how to be humbled. It's the same word used of Jesus in chapter two, verse eight. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's how low Jesus experienced. Jesus experienced highs and lows, right? As we read about in the Gospels. He says, I've had plenty 
I've been able to abound. There were times when Paul had these things. He had an abundance of the world's goods. Not that he was ever super rich. But you know, most people who have a lot aren't really content. We don't need to buy into the lie that if we have all the financial means that we think that we need, then we're going to be content. Our sinful natures are such that it just doesn't work that way. It sounds logical. Here's an example. Years ago, Newsweek magazine published the story of a man named Rick Cholet. Now, you probably haven't heard of that name, but you may have heard of the name Brookstone. You go through a mall and you'll find a Brookstone store. I guess they're still around. This was a number of years ago when this happened. So he finds this, uh, he, he starts with nothing. Rick Chalet does. He was the son of struggling French immigrants. And he started this email, or excuse me, uh, small mail order tool business called Brookstone. And of course it became hugely successful and he became very rich. He was handsome. He was happily married, this article says. He was loved by his employees and his colleagues. But he was deeply despondent. On March 18th of this particular year when the article was written, Chole took his life. And he wrote a note, please forgive me, but the thought of going through the torture of living is just too much to bear. And so he locked himself into his BMW in his garage in New Hampshire and turned the car on. His wife, Susan, later revealed that Chalet had been depressed for half of his adult life. People had put him on such a pedestal, she said, that he constantly feared letting them down. She said he swung from freely, totally powerful, from feeling totally powerful to feeling totally helpless. How can that be? He had it all. We understand that now, don't we? You can have it all and not be content. You can have wealth, not necessarily even super wealth, but you can do, be, be doing financially well and you can find in your heart a craving for more. The more that we succeed or the more that we get, it seems like we, we can't be as satisfied as we thought we would and the more we want. Christians have the ability to overcome that. You see, it's, that's the lot for anybody who's not a Christian. They're never going to be too, truly content without Christ. But even as Christians, because we're still sinful, we still struggle with this. And Paul says, I can, do, I can be content whether I'm, I'm humbled and low in my condition or whether I'm doing well in my circumstances. But he had the same attitude in both of these conditions. And 
this, this con- discontentment is not just material things. It can be emotional things. Uh, it can be spiritual things. And in one, it can be health. And in some sense, all those can be mixed together. 1 Timothy 6, verses 6 through 8, is, is another good commentary on this. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. If we have the necessities, we can be content. If God gives us more, well, fine. But we need to be content with that too. And so we have to really learn to think of of what really is essential in life. And we'll see God's promise to that in a minute. Now, I like what uh, Dennis Johnson said in writing about Philippians. He said, the Philippians gave so gladly for missions because they had received grace so freely through the gospel. That's the only way that we're going to be motivated to support those who take the gospel beyond our own walls. When we become more and more enthralled with the glories of the gospel of Christ. And that's what makes us glad to give. Sometimes I wonder if there are people uh, who are giving to missions and giving their offerings. Inwardly, they're almost crying because they have to part with that money. But they're doing it because they know they're supposed to. Do it out of joy. Do it out of joy for what God has done for you. Now, also notice in verses 13 and uh, then in 18 and 19 that we can be content as we rely on God. We can be content as we rely on God. Verse 13, in the middle of all this expression of thanks, he says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Most of us probably are quite familiar with that verse. What a great verse it is. More literally, he's saying, I can keep on doing all things through Christ who infuses his strength in me. If you're anemic, you might need an infusion or even a transfusion. Other illnesses, uh, we hear this word fairly often. People talk about their treatments for illnesses. They get an infusion. Something outside of them is put into them to make them better. Christ is bodily at the right hand of the Father in heaven. That's where he is. But through his spirit, he infuses strength in us. Not so much physical strength, of course, but the strength to live a godly life, the strength to deal with the challenges we face in life, the strength to be content. Ask the Lord to give you contentment, to infuse that kind of strength in you. And, of course, you can ask him for any need that you have, any need. I'll jump ahead and just say... That he tells us in verse 18. No, I'm sorry, verse 19. And my God, be very personal here. My God will supply every need of yours 
according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Our relationship with Christ is the key. When he says in verse 13, I can do all things through him, he's saying through Christ. Christ is there to strengthen us. It's not enough just to reject materialism as the basis for contentment. We must turn to the true source of contentment. And that deals with our right relationship with the Lord. When he says, I can do all things, he's not bragging, of course. If he had put a period right there, he would have been bragging. I can do all things. And a lot of prosperity preachers like that part of it. You can do anything. You can do all things through Christ. So you're not bragging. In fact, you're praising another instead of yourself. Christ is the one who infuses his strength in me. The believer is united to Christ. And so he's able to, if I can put it this way, tap into Christ's power. The power is the word dynamite in the Greek. Paul said in Romans, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God to salvation. So that's a very strong way of putting it. And now you might think, okay, well, if I'm content, that means that I don't have to really do anything other than just maintain the status quo. If I'm content with my job, that means that I can't aspire to a promotion. And if I'm offered a promotion, I probably shouldn't take it because I'm supposed to be content where I am. No, it doesn't rule that out. To be content doesn't mean you don't have aspirations. You know, if you've got six kids and one bedroom, you can do it. You might lose your sanity. They might have to put you away. <laughs> but you can do it. But it's not wrong to say, Lord, it would be great if we had two bedrooms. <laughs> well, maybe four, maybe five. So that's not wrong to pray that way. As long as your aspirations are godly, legal, <laughs> then it's fine. You, you may have long-term goals. I would like to be this kind of situation in my job uh, five years from now, whatever. But at the same time, you can still be satisfied where you are because of the sovereignty of God. Where you say, God has me here right now and this is what I need to rejoice in and be content in. And if God gives me other opportunities and they are prayerfully considered and it seems like this is what God wants me to do, go for it. And be content in that. Don't get that job and say, oh, man, it's not, it's not what I thought it would be. No, God puts you there until he wants you elsewhere. I had to learn this as a pastor. Pastor a church for a while and you find out, what? well, this church has problems. New seminary student, you know, that might be a shock. I thought everybody was going to love me. And I thought everybody was lovable. No, not necessarily. 
But this is where God wants me. And I don't need to start pining for another church or a bigger church or greener grass on the other side of town. I don't need to do that. I need to trust in the Lord and be content where he has me and serve him as well as I can while I am here. Our relationship with Christ enables us to be confident that he will provide for us. That's what verse 19 is telling us. God will supply all of our needs. And notice it says, according to his riches. It doesn't say from his riches. There's a big difference there. From his riches would be like, <clears throat> suppose you had a rich uncle and he died and he left you $100. He was rich, but he gave from his riches. But what if he had given according to his riches? That would be a whole different thing, couldn't it? Now, if you'd been a bad nephew or niece, it may, still be, it may not even be $100. <laughs> according to his riches means that whatever we need, a little or a lot, as far as our needs go, he's going to provide it. And he's going to provide what we need, not necessarily what we want, of course. He tells the Philippians that their giving here in verse 18 is an act of worship. It's another good lesson for missionary giving. He says, I have received full payment. He's just so satisfied and more. I'm well supplied. See, this is when things are going really well. Having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, Epaphroditus is the one that came from Philippi to Rome and brought him the gifts. I've received the gifts, and look at what he says they are. They are a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. You think about that when you give to the church and to the work of missions and work of the kingdom? If you're giving from your heart, if you're giving out of joy, if you're giving out of desire to glorify God, God sees that as a fragrant offering. That gives us the picture of the Old Testament offerings. You know, when the, the animals were sacrificed and as they were burned, incense would be thrown over the fire to make it a sweet smell, to depict the reaction of God to those sacrifices. He is pleased. God receives, God has pleasure in what we give for his glory. It's no wonder he talks about the glory of God there. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory. And then he says, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. It's what it's all about. Why do, you, why do you involve yourself in the work of the church? It's not to pay the bills. It's not simply to, to make sure that the preacher has something to eat on Sunday. It's not just to uh, absolve you of your guilt feelings. You give so God will be glorified in the fruit that comes from the gifts. And boy, that just puts a whole different perspective on it, doesn't it? That's the big picture of giving. And the last thing to note there, we can be content only as we learn to be content. Learn to be content. Did you notice how Paul says that? Twice. 
In verse 11, I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. And then again, in verse 12, I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Content. And then we saw in what he said in 1 Timothy 6 about contentment as well. Contentment. The word secret really means initiation. Paul had to be initiated into uh, the fraternity of those who are content. And what did he have to do to go endure this or go through this initiation? He had to go to, had to learn. He had to experience things to make him learn to be content. Contentment, as one person has said, is not hardwired into us when we are human beings. It does not come naturally. It comes supernaturally. And we gain it by this combination, experience plus grace. If you go through your life as a Christian, you learn how to be content. You learn these lessons, you read about them in the Bible, and you deal with them before the Lord in prayer, and God enables you to become more and more content as you mature in your faith. We'll never have it down pat, understand that. The most godly person in our congregation, whoever that person might be, is going to still have to work on this and keep learning. Keep learning, don't stop learning and growing. You know, Jesus, in Hebrews 5, 8, it says Jesus learned obedience through suffering. He had to learn as a human being. He, he had to, to, to be able to adjust and, and deal with the challenges to trusting his Father in heaven and obeying his will rather than his own, Jesus' own. We are in that situation too, Imperfectly, though, we have to work through understanding what our relationship to God through Christ means for us and then apply that in the context of our own personal situations. Learn the promises of God and be blessed by them, live by them. Realize that others have learned it. They've learned the secret of being content. They've been initiated into this special fraternity. They've been blessed by it, and we can too. It was, I pointed out to the musicians before church that it was uh, a nice uh, thing that we all were thinking along the same lines when they uh, played uh, He Leadeth Me for the introit. And I, I told him, I said, this morning I was thinking about that song before I came to church. And I was thinking about one line in He Leadeth Me. Content whatever lot I see. Content. Whatever. We talked about whatever last week in a different way. But here, content, whatever. And I love the closing here. I'm just going to point out something about it. It's similar to the beginning of this letter. In the beginning of this letter, Paul addressed the saints. And here as he closes, he 
passes greetings back and forth. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. That is, Paul in Rome is saying, greet every saint in Christ in Philippi. The brothers who are with me greet you. He's got brothers there, not just the ones who are visiting like Epaphroditus, but there are people in under the Roman rule who had come to faith in Christ. Isn't it interesting, he says, all the saints greet you in verse 22, especially those of Caesar's household. Whoa. The gospel had penetrated into Caesar's own family. Would that it would have happened to Caesar, but doesn't seem to be the case. Nonetheless, God was working in spite of his confinement. That's the reason he could be content. He knew God would be working no matter what. God is not dependent on our limitations. Sovereignty, the comfort, the encouragement, the help that the sovereignty of God is for us. What a difference it makes to be content. To know that God is with us and will care for us regardless of the situations in which we find ourselves. And so the writer to the Hebrews says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. <clears throat> for the Lord has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be content with what you have. How freeing this is. This will cure anxiety that he talked about just before this passage. Are you content? Where are you in this whole matter of dealing with contentment in your life? They may, there may be a particular area in your life where you really find in your heart of hearts that you are not accepting the situation that you have. Doesn't mean you don't aspire to improve it. Understand that. But to be content to accept it for now and give it to God. Don't just say, well, that's just the way I am. You need to be the way Jesus is. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the great Welch preacher of the 20th century, said, if you want to be content as Paul, you must live as Paul. Follow his example, as he told us earlier in Philippians. You can be content if you know God through faith in Jesus Christ and if you do, if you abide by the lessons that Paul is teaching us here by his own example. May the Lord give us that grace. May we be able to put our heads on our pillows tonight and say, Lord, content, I'm content whatever lot you may give me. I'm content with the way things are right now because you are sovereign and this is where you have me and you have purposes and reasons for it and I need to, to learn how to just leave it with you and trust you through the power of the risen Jesus Christ who gave himself for us not only to provide forgiveness and a right standing with God but the ability to deal with the, the ravages of sin in our lives. Look to him. Be content. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you can provide what we truly need. Not only that you can, you will. Here we are today. You've provided for us. 
Will you not also give us contentment when we follow the directives of your word and when we trust not in our own preferences but in your supreme will? For Lord, that is truly what is best for us and that is what will enable us to glorify you. Hear our prayer. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.